Listen to the word of God, Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I ask that you would encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, even with these words which are so familiar, words which we have, many of us, heard since childhood. We have seen reenacted in our midst. We have sung these words. We, we hear them even as we wander the, the halls of commerce, as the, the carols of old have captured the story of Christmas. And so, Lord, I pray that while these words are familiar, that your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, who works powerfully in this world, that, that he would work in our hearts. Lord, give us hope and comfort and encouragement. Let us find the, the, the hope of the gospel in Jesus, our Savior. We come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Headlines are meant to grab attention, and sometimes the headline itself becomes the story. A couple of weeks ago, you saw the headline in the New York Daily News, even if you don't read the Daily News. They were responding to the, the tragic shooting in California. Many people, after the, the shooting, responded with that common phrase, our thoughts and prayers are with the families and, and the, the first responders. So the Daily News offered their theological response in the form of a headline. In response to the terrorism and violence, they ran the headline, God isn't fixing it. God isn't fixing it. Such a headline, though, it captures some of what we feel, doesn't it? And I don't just mean when you look at the, the headlines of, of terrorism and war, when you see, see companies crumble, when you see the, the landscape of of the world shake and change? I mean, you ask that question, can God fix this? When you look at the pain and heartbreak in your own life. And sure, we know that they're, they're being provocative to sell papers. We might even still have, have bigger questions underlying those, the, the issues to which they were responding, the cultural problems they had identified. But the headline captures something of our pain. God isn't fixing it. 
It's Christmas. The birth of Jesus is the direct answer to that kind of headline. When we want to say God isn't fixing it, God says, I am fixing it. I have come. I mean, do you, do you, do you understand the, the, the revolutionary impact of the arrival of Jesus the King? I mean, it comes in this, this extraordinary way through this, this miraculous birth, but it comes, in another sense, in such an ordinary way. A baby born. It happens every day. And yet this baby is God himself. And so Christmas offers us the hope that God is indeed fixing it. Fixing all that has gone wrong, not just in our culture, but in our hearts, in our lives, in us. We notice first the, the, the divine origin of God's response. Joseph has to be told what's happening in a dream. And that itself, the arrival of an angel of the Lord... Look back at verse 20. And the arrival of an angel of the Lord it is remarkable. I mean, we might picture those, those little cherubs that, that adorn our Hallmark cards. I mean, but when angels appear in Scripture, think frightening, overwhelming, div- divine power. I mean, this is an angelic warrior who arrives to explain to Joseph what's happening. Because consider the information that Joseph has up until this point. Mary, the sweet girl from down the street, that girl that that he's in love with, that girl he's betrothed to. And and remember, in in this part of the world at this time, engagement was was more significant than it is for us today. So that to end it, it would require Joseph publicly and legally, officially divorcing her. But Mary, this sweet girl, is pregnant. And so Joseph knows how that kind of thing happens. And so he needs to be rid of her, rid of this disgrace. And so God is the one who who brought this about. And so God is the one who has to intervene to explain it to Joseph. God needs to make clear that this is God's own plan. That God is the one who has sent this child. This child who comes, look at verse 18. She's found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous conception. Nothing like this has, has ever happened before. And, and we're even told, as the, as the chapter continues, that all, look at verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is part of God's plan that, that didn't just come about here on the road to Bethlehem, but this is part of God's plan which, which stretches back into the ministry of the prophet Isaiah. For in verse 23, Matthew, our gospel writer, quotes from Isaiah's prophecy, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And yet for us, this kind of miraculous plan, it's it's hard to believe. This is the way God would would intervene or, or even that God could intervene or that God exists to intervene. Because we're, we're sophisticated modern people, and so it's hard for us to accept a miraculous birth, a virgin birth. I mean, it, it sounds like the kind of nonsense you'd pull out of a fairy tale. 
And actually, in, in some sense, to Joseph, it must have been remarkable because it's not as if Isaiah's prophecy about the virgin conceiving was the, the central longing of the Christmas story. It's central to our telling of the Christmas story because it's what really happened. And so we can picture it in pageant form with, with, a, with a tiny little elementary school-aged Mary standing there on, on the platform and the, the, the unruly shepherds getting themselves into trouble on the other side of the stage. I mean, we can picture the, the story. And, and so the Virgin Mary is central to our telling of the story. And yes, this is a prophecy which comes from from Isaiah, but it's a surprising prophecy. I mean, first of all, it's the kind of sign, how could, you, how could you really know that this is true? Because, well, she said so, because God says so. But, but see, if, if God was going to show up and prove it to us that he was miraculously intervening, see, we want some kind of giant, undeniable, there's no other way to explain it kind of miracle. Except that you and I would always have another explanation for it. As modern people, we'd, we'd always be able to explain away a miracle because we, we sometimes, many of us, start with the assumption that, well, God just can't intervene that way. There has to be a natural explanation for everything that happens. But you understand, when you start with that kind of definition, that a miracle is impossible. Because no matter what God does, whether it's the, the arrival of the Savior through, through a virgin birth, or it's a, a miraculous kind of miracle that the whole world sees. And there are miracles like that that fill the pages of Scripture. And the Christmas story itself is filled with these miraculous announcements, an angel here appearing to Joseph, angels appear to Mary, angels appear to announce the birth to the shepherds. The wise men follow a miraculous star to find this king. And so you and I actually need to, to stop and, and humble ourselves. I mean, we need to consider the, the response of Joseph. Joseph has much to lose in all of this. If this miraculous birth story doesn't pan out, because I mean, everybody else who's tried this miraculous virgin birth story Every other time in history has been proven wrong because it's so foolish no one would even attempt it. But, but when this falls apart, it's Joseph who will bear the shame of it. Joseph whose life who will be ruined. And yet what does he do? He acknowledges the truth of what is proclaimed to him, announced by an angel. And that's the same posture that you and I have to take today. We have to be willing to say, to be humble enough to say, if God is going to speak, if God is going to intervene, then I need to listen. That's really the wise and, and open-minded and generous thing to do, is to be willing to consider the truth of, of a miracle, this miracle of, of divine origin. We also see the, the divine purpose in Jesus' mission, his divine mission. Look at what the, the angel says to Joseph. First, he explains this, this miraculous conception. And then verse 21, the angel describes to Joseph, he says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the name Yeshua, the, the name of Joshua in the Old Testament, a common name. A common name for boys in this period. I mean, you can, you can see it in the archaeological evidence. That it's, 
an ordinary name. You'd find lots of Josephs walking down the street. You'd find lots of Jesuses walking down the street. Why? Because it's, it's the announcement of God's purposes. God saves. That's what, what it means. When Mary would call Jesus in at the end of the day and, and shout down the street, Jesus! It's that reminder that God is the God who rescues. God saves. And so this name is given to this child because that is Jesus' purpose. To come and rescue his people from their sin. Because at the heart of the Christian story, at the heart of the Christian message, is this purpose of Jesus. Jesus, this child who came and was born, came to die. And even as we consider the, the death of Christ when we gather around this table, we remember that purpose even in Bethlehem. That this child came to, to give his life, to pay for our sins with his blood. Because at the center of our own lives is a rebellion against God, a rejection of God's purposes. Several Christmases ago, as we were leaving the... It was actually... Christmas was a Sunday morning that year. We were, we were leaving worship, and there were poinsettias across the front of the sanctuary, and, and those who had purchased poinsettias, and as we do each year, were able to take them home. And so our two-year-old at the time... Um, and I, when I asked if I could use his name, or if I could tell the story, he said, yes, but you have to use my name. So I have to tell you, it was Samuel. So Samuel wanted to carry the poinsettia home alone. And with his little tiny toddler arms, he could barely reach. And, and, and as we're walking the, the steps, across, or the, the sidewalk across, we could, we could see what was going to happen. Because you know what's about to happen. These little toddler arms weren't enough, but, but when we asked, Sam, can we help you? No. I mean, and you know how a toddlers respond. We didn't have to teach him that response. No, I can do it myself. Because that response is the response that lurks in each of us. Now, it doesn't often come out in, in such an adorable and cute little way as the, the pot then falls. And dirt spilled across the sidewalk. And the, the leaves, those red leaves of the poinsettia now, now spilled at his feet. But it is for us a picture of of our own rebellion, our own I can do it myself, except when we do it, it's not nearly as cute for we've, we shake our fist in God's face and say, no, I don't need you. I can do it myself. And with dirt strewn around, it requires the sacrifice of Jesus. Even those red leaves of the poinsettia are, are reminders to us of the death of Christ. The blood which will trickle down the cross and pool at his feet because of his great love for us. We see the story here in Matthew 1 in the name of Jesus, but also in the, the greeting that the angel brings to Joseph. The story is so familiar to us, we, we might just go right past it. The angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David. Why are we invoking David, that king from a thousand years ago, that king whose stories have almost faded into legend, but that true historical king, the one to whom the promise of God was given, that one of his sons, one of his great-grandsons would reign on the throne forever? 
That's a phrase which is commonly attributed to Jesus in the Gospels, but it is only here in all of the Gospels that 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 phrase, the Son of David, is given to anyone other than Jesus. It's given to his father, his adopted father, Joseph, the Son of David, the one in the royal line whose son will reign on David's throne forever. You see, Jesus is the one who comes announcing that God saves. Jesus is the one who comes to give his life for us. Jesus is the divine king. He is our rescuer. The story tells us of of Jesus' divine origin, his divine mission, and finally we see his divine presence with us. He comes in that announcement of, of his birth from Isaiah. Jesus will be his name But he will also be called, look at verse 23, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, a a word so common to us because of our Christmas carols, but a word which is not familiar through much of the Old Testament. It's here in Isaiah's prophecy, and it means that God is with us. This is why Jesus himself can be the one who answers that question. Is God doing anything about this? Yes. God himself is here. Jesus is with us. And so when we cry out to God, when we wonder why isn't God fixing this, we are are longing for God to be present with us, to respond, to hear us. And here we have the truth that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is God in our midst. And so Jesus' ministry means that God's presence comes, Jesus comes and dwells among men. And while Jesus has now ascended into heaven, he has now given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, through whom the announcement is made of Jesus' birth. The Holy Spirit, through whom the miracle takes place, his Holy Spirit is now with us. And so God proves to us that, that he is with us. We have not just the announcement of rescue, the ministry of Jesus on the cross, turning us from our sins so that we come to him and we ask for forgiveness. So when we hear the Christmas story, the response is, is more than nostalgia, more than, more than the, the, the familiarity of, of celebrations past and the longing for, for gathering with family and friends now. The response to the announcement of Christmas is to humble yourself to bow the knee before Jesus as the king and as the savior, as the rescuer, the one who comes to prove that God saves, the one who comes to save. It's to acknowledge the sin that's in our own hearts, our rebellion against God, to ask for forgiveness and to find it in Jesus alone. And in that response, then, we have the promise that God is with us. For without the rescue of Jesus, what would those words sound like? God is with us. Those would be words of judgment, words that uh, that, that should cause us to cower and fear because the one against whom we have rebelled, the one with all power and authority and dominion, is now here. And yet, as the words are spoken through the voice of an angel to Joseph, these are words of comfort, words of hope, words of promise, Jesus will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God 
is with us. These are words of hope because we have the comfort of God's divine presence. When we traveled to Korea to adopt our youngest, Samuel, we were anxious about the trip. Traveling to the other side of the world, you've got the, the whole flip of night and day with the time zone change. And, we, and then you're traveling into a, a, a huge city, a city which is possible to get around in Seoul, in South Korea. It's possible to get around knowing only English because most of the people we met on the streets of Seoul spoke excellent English. The street signs are also transliterated into English, although to an American ear, each stop on the subway sounds sort of like the stop that you just passed and the one they're announcing to come. But our, our brother-in-law, who was born and raised in Seoul, had made arrangements for us. He had, he had marked down the, the subway stops we would take. He, we were going to stay with his sister while we were there. She, she still lives in, in Seoul. And, and he, he marked down the subway routes for us to get from there to, to the social worker's office where we would meet with her and we would first meet Samuel. But there was a lot of anxiety in traveling. And so the day before we were to leave, Daniel called, our brother-in-law called to, to ask if there were any final questions. And then he said something that, that radically changed our entire experience. He said, I just bought my plane tickets. I'm coming with you. Now we had a Korean speaker to come with us. We didn't have to think about anything from the time we, we left the apartment to getting to our, our destination. We didn't have to figure out how to order something from this menu. It, it just showed up when we sat down at a restaurant. All we had to do was, was now as parents focus on the, the joy and the emotional experience of, of meeting Samuel for the first time, of, of meeting his, his foster family, of, of transitioning now as a family because we had Daniel with us. All of our fears and longings and anxieties completely wiped away by having him by our side to get us everywhere we needed to go. And it came at an expense to Daniel. We couldn't pay his plane ticket, but he said, you guys aren't just traveling for a sightseeing tour. You're going to bring home my nephew. I'm coming with you. I mean, do you see the, the good news that, that we hear in those words that Jesus is our Emmanuel. He is God with us, God our comforter, God our rescuer. And it cost him more than a, than a trip around the world, more than the cost of a plane ticket. It cost Jesus his life to give himself for us. Jesus is more than our guide. He is God in our midst. Jesus in his presence provides us with comfort. He is Jesus. God saves. Jesus saves. He is the promised king sent to us from heaven. And so we can ask that question again. Is God fixing it? Yes. Christmas is our answer. Jesus is our savior. Jesus, born of the virgin, miraculously sent to us. Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we rejoice in this good news. These words, which to many of us are so familiar. And yet, Lord, I pray as, we, as we've heard them today, as we now 
as we now apply these truths to our lives, as you apply them to our lives through this sacrament, that we would humble ourselves, that we would come to you in the hope of the gospel. Lord, for those who gather with us today who, who have not yet submitted to Jesus as Lord, that in hearing this gospel and seeing it portrayed bef- before us in the, the work of the sacrament, Lord, that, that we would each respond to your gospel. Lord, I pray for those that, that come now, that they would be able to, to, by prayer, admit their sins and turn to you for salvation. For we come in the hope of the gospel, a hope which is proclaimed to us. Father in heaven, it's a story we don't deserve. It's a miraculous story. The rescue that comes to us from Jesus. So Father in heaven, we come rejoicing, praying in Jesus' name. Amen.